Oh, what is up? Welcome to Bring in the Backups. I'm your host, Eric Helwig. On today's show, I chat about Charlie Batch and interview comedian Rob Stern. Before we get into it, I want to quickly thank the 20 of you or so that reviewed the podcast after our first episode. If you have not already, please go to Apple Podcasts or iTunes and write a five-star review for the show. It helps a lot. And to help guide you in this process, I'm going to read some of the reviews people have already written so you get a little bit of an idea of what's helpful and what's not. Let's start with a great one, okay? Uh, the title for this five-star review that came from Larry the Athlete, who happens to run a great podcast called Larry Knows Sport, which I recommend to you guys as well. This one reads, Eric is hilarious with a wealth of knowledge of unheralded QBs from every era. If you're a serious football fan, then this is a fantastic listen. Put BITB in your starting lineup. Larry the Athlete, thank you so much for the review. Really appreciate it. Now let's go to a, a review with some good and some bad, all right? The title of this one, Good Stuff, five stars. All right, that's good so far. The review reads, podcast was funny. Enjoyed the content. The host sounded like a weirdo and probably ugly, but besides that, everything was great. Hazy. To people who don't know, Hazy is the name of a human being. His name is Hazy for obvious reasons. And uh, he decided to sign his review with his name, not unlike a second grader learning how to write a letter. No need to sign the name at the end. Just stick to the good old-fashioned review. All right, and then the last one, title of the review, Eric, This Is Your Mother. Going to repeat that title one more time. The title... Eric, this is your mother. The review reads, Sorry to hear about Liz saying my name and having to do a retake and then getting grouchy. I have said this before. Feel free to say a funny story or even tell a joke about me. We've talked about this. Come on. So I love the podcast. You and Liz have great chemistry. But maybe a little less sexy talk next time. Make sure to let Gordon out of the bedroom. Love you, Mom. So this might have functioned better as a text message. Considering it mentions many things the audience would have no idea about as they in no way have anything to do with my show and are really more just personal conversations I've been having with my mother over the course of the last month. So yeah, when reviewing the show, no need to sign your name. Also, I don't know who's been reviewing this review saying it's the most helpful one, but the algorithm now has this as the number one review that shows up for my podcast. So if you don't mind, take a second to write a review so that this isn't the first thing strangers see when they decide if they want to listen to the show. And speaking of listening to the show, enough of this bullshit. Let's get it going and start right now. This is Bringing the Backups with Eric Helwig. Is my voice too loud? I cannot tell if my voice is too loud. Welcome to episode two of Bringing the Backups. Charlie Batch is going to be our quarterback for this episode. If you're here, you must have listened to the first episode. I guess that means it didn't suck for you. My name's Eric Helwig. I'm your uh, host, football expert. I know everything about the game, more than people who played it. That's true. I'll, I'll take that to the bank. I'll take it to the bank. I mean, what will I do? You can't trust me to take it to the bank. I'm, maybe I know somebody there. They'll cash it, and it's bullshit. But you can take it to the bank. You can trust my analysis of football. Trust me, I played flag football one season when I was nine in Louisiana. So I know what I'm talking about when I analyze these quarterbacks. And Charlie Batch is going to be our guy. Let's let's cover some basics on Batch. Basics Batch. I, by the way, 
a name Charlie Batch. I chose him because I thought there was a lot of pun opportunities, which there are. But we'll get into why it might have been a mistake to choose him as the subject. But whatever. I'm committed now. 61 touchdowns, 52 interceptions. Right off the bat, we're looking at career numbers. It's a solid ratio. It's not a starter ratio, but it puts you top of the heap when it comes to backups as far as I'm concerned. Career record, 25 and 30 in starts. I'll take it. I will motherfucking take that. Now, look, he's 19 and 29 in Detroit. That includes his last season, his fourth season in Detroit, 2001. He goes 0 and 9. You take away that season, you're playing on the Detroit Lions. You're 19 and 18 as a starter, and that's after they get rid of Barry Sanders. Because that's what it was. When Batch came in, drafted by the Lions, second round, he got drafted by Bobby Ross, who, as I recall, was the coach at Army where uh, I'm a big Army football fan, and, and he sucked as an Army coach. I, I can't imagine he was great for the Lions. I remember him. He kind of looked dopey to me. I'm assuming he wasn't a very good coach. Just, again, my expertise is going to be really spot on. He didn't have strong shoulders, so I'm going to assume he was a terrible football coach. But Batch, playing for the first three seasons, has a winning record. First, second, and third year. He's injury-prone. And the reason he's injury-prone in Detroit is because after Barry Sanders retires, before the 99 season, the Lions go to Charlie Batch, and they're like, how about you be the running back? <laughs> like, that's basically, that's how bad the Lions were, is they weren't like, let's let's see if we can trade or or bring somebody in to replace easily a top two or three running back of all time. They just go, let's let the second-year quarterback just be the running back too, which is why he gets injured so much in Detroit. It's it's 100% on the team for doing that to him. But even in that dysfunction, that mess of dysfunction that was Detroit, Batch plays well up until really 2001 where the, everything comes off the, what is that phrase? The, the wheels come off the wagon, the, uh, the screws come loose from the bolts, the dick falls off of the... Pew Bush, I don't know. Whatever happens, the team disintegrates. They bring in that guy, Matt Millen. They get rid of Batch. They bring in Joey Harrington. Again, I don't think the problem is the quarterbacks when you have a dysfunctional team, which I think Batch proves. He ends up going to Pittsburgh and staying there for 11 seasons. That's where he really earns the title of, of backup. One fun thing, I didn't know this, he's ninth in Lions history in passing yardage. I'm pretty sure if the Lions started me in the first week of this season, I threw a screen pass, I'd be like 20th, though. I mean, the Lions really suck. And I would like them to be better because I'm, I'm a, such a big underdog guy. But, man, oh, man, they really set you up to suck. Batch played 15 seasons overall. 25 and 30 as a starter. 6 and 3 as a starter in Detroit. Over 11 seasons, or sorry, in Pittsburgh. That's over 11 seasons in Pittsburgh. He only starts 9 games. He goes 6 and 3 in those games backing up Ben Roethlisberger. Obviously on a much better Steelers team. I mean, Charlie Batch, if you're just going off what happened on the field, one of the better backups we're going to have on this show. Now, let's talk about off the field, which is my mistake in having Charlie Batch on as a topic for this show. Apparently, Charlie Batch is like the greatest human being of all time, and I did not realize that because we're kind of we're not making fun of the quarterbacks on this show, but it's a light roast, we'll say. Yeah, yeah, and I had no idea that he has overcome extreme personal tragedy. He now dedicates his life to charitable service. I mean, I, I mean, I literally reached out to him on Instagram to be on the show. 
I'm a comic that has been in basements for the last 10 years talking about my dick. And this dude is changing children's lives. I'm, I should be having scumbag backup quarterbacks on this show. I'm, you know what I'm saying? Just They don't have to be like bad people, but just overall dirtbags. That's who this is for. And clearly, Charlie Batch is just a cut above as a human. So that's a mistake. And when I uh, get to my interview later on, which now it's revealed, I, I do the interview first. You're going to hear me realize what he's been through in his life and how good of a person he is. And it's, uh, let's just say the show might change its format after episode two. And I might do a little more of the research on the quarterback before I talk to my friend who did his research and was telling me things about Charlie Batch I didn't realize. So with that said, let's analyze this man's life. Let's analyze this man's career. Let's judge him. And then please, for the people that are like, Charlie Batch has saved my life. I get it. I know. It was, it's my mistake. I've acknowledged it. Now let's shit on him. I mean, first off, let's get started with those Lions uniforms. I'm a big uniform guy. I love anybody in, like, a light-colored uniform. I don't know why. That's, like, my thing. So the Lions, you got, like, the silver and blue. Another favorite I like, what the Chargers got going on right now with that powder blue and with the yellow accent. I think the Chargers got some of the sweetest jerseys in the NFL right now. Big on that. Kelly Green, the Eagles used to have. I think my favorite might be the Creamsicle Buccaneers. I'm, I'm talking like I'm painting a... A baby's bedroom. I know, like, these are the colors I like for uniforms, but I do. It It brings me back to the 80s and the 90s. You know, I, I get it. The Raiders are cool. Black and silver. Dark colors. Manly colors. But for me, give me something that looks like a baby gender reveal party. I'll go with that. That's my style for football. Oh, that, the Oilers? Remember the Oilers? They had, like a like, a baby blue with the little oil thing on the helmet. Those are some of the coolest uniforms in NFL history. Bring those back. Who's got those? I think the I'm sure that the Titans have rights on that, right? They must. And the Texans should take it because the Houston Texans have like some of the shittiest uniforms. They're so boring. Oh god, get the get the oil thing back. What do you call that? Like an oil spigot? Isn't that where like Daniel Day Lewis murders somebody in that movie? Lincoln? Solid joke. Batch got drafted out of eastern Michigan, which uh it's weird because, like, we'll talk about it later, but Batch is from Pittsburgh. So going back to Pittsburgh, it's like a hometown kid coming back to be the backup. He also went to college in eastern Michigan and then went to Detroit. So he's got, like, two hometowns, which I love. I mean, as an Army brat myself, I have, like, 13 hometowns. I can really relate to that. Eastern Michigan uh, sucks. They're one of the worst college football teams. Not just now, like, in history. Like, their overall record, they're, like, 2 and eight. 800. They're horrible. I don't know. I was watching like a college football game. I'm really into Mac football. I love crappy football conferences. It's my favorite. The Power Five, it's like, okay, I get it, but give me the Group of Five conference. I love Sunbelt, Conference USA, Mac football. Any football conference where all the teams have tracks running around their – like they're not even big enough to just have the football stadium be just for football. Like those are the teams – I like. In Eastern Michigan, I don't think they had this when Batch was playing there, but they have this gray field now. You just go on YouTube and type in an Eastern Michigan game from any time in the 2000s. They, they made their field gray. So, it, so when you turn your TV on, it looks like you're watching a game from like 50 years ago. Like it's crazy to watch. They should go like all the way with it. They should have like the coaches wearing fedoras and 
separate drinking fountains. Just really make it feel like the 1950s. <laughs> that was uh, that was the thing I remember with me and my wife when we first started dating. The speakeasy party. This is in New York, and she had like a flapper girl costume. She was like, it's going to be like an authentic 1920s experience. I remember being like, yeah, if it's an authentic 1920s experience, I'm pretty sure I get to decide where we go tonight. Also, we're not going to run into like the trans woman from your improv class, and she's the bartender. Like, it, we're, we're really cherry-picking the nice parts of the 1920s. I love that old Eastern Michigan field, though. It's just do, you got to do something to stand out if you're in that situation as a football team where, like, nobody gives a shit. Like, you go on, if you go on like, all those Mac Twitter pages. They have 13 people following them. And you go to Alabama, it's, like, the entire country. You got to stand out. One thing you could do, you could have a football field that's just uh, completely black. Like, even, like, the yard markers, so, like, nobody knows when it's a first down and it's, the games take eight hours. You'd stand out. Have your team's uniform be all black and the numbers too. So you just don't know who's got the ball, who's eligible. That's my call. Once Batch went to the... What happened is in 2001, he gets... Oh, hey, Gordon. Hey, Liz? Liz! Gordon, come here. Yeah, could you get Gordon into the... See ya, buddy. It's just too loud. He gets restless when he hears me talking. It's, it's going to be a whole thing. Anyway, what was I saying? Yeah, when Batch gets uh, released by the Lions and then picked up by the Steelers, it, it's literally the homecoming. Like, where he's from in Pittsburgh, he's from this place called Homestead. Which is, if you're ever, I don't know if anybody here has ever driven into Pittsburgh. It's like hill country before you get there. And there's like towns on hills, like very like manufacturing city type vibe. And apparently like at the Steelers practice facility, you can literally see the town where Charlie Batch grew up. He's that much of a hometown kid when it comes to Pittsburgh. Before I moved to New York, I was working this gig where I was selling timeshare to families around the East Coast to come down to Colonial Williamsburg to take a 90-minute timeshare presentation, which is, by the way, the reason I don't ever post any type of activism online because I'm somebody who sold timeshare. You should not take anything that I say ethically seriously. <laughs> I've, I've ruined my credibility to ever tell anybody who they should vote for. You basically do whatever you want. I feel like anybody who does should have to confess something about themselves just to give some perspective to who we're supposed to be taking our advice from, right? It should be a rule. Like, if you're going to post something super political about how you love Trump or Biden, you should have to admit whatever the most humiliating thing is you've done sexually. That should be the rule. I would enforce that as president. Listen. One time I tried to jerk off to Human Centipede just to see if I could. And I could. Yang gang. I might cut that out. I was in Homestead because I had to drive through when I was working this timeshare gig to work something in Pittsburgh called the Ribs on the River Festival. Now I think it's just called the Rib Fest. Apparently it still happens. But I was there, geez, this would have been a couple months before I moved to New York, so sometime in 2008. Uh, usually we go to trade shows to sell these vacation packages. You know, it's like a it's like a travel show. So it, it, at least like my 
booth with Colonial Williamsburg stuff makes sense next to everything else I'm with. But for this ribs festival, I have no idea who booked it at the company, but I show up. It's just me in a booth selling golf packages to Williamsburg, Virginia, and it's then 50 venues of ribs and then bands. That, that was the entire festival. Like I, We had no business being there. And I went for two days to try to sell these packages. Just so you know, like generally speaking, like when I would go on these things, I'd usually make anywhere from 1000 to $2,000 in two or three days. I was doing that three times a month usually, and that was my job. I was saving everything I made, and I was trying to get to New York to try to do comedy. But at the Ribs Festival in Pittsburgh in 2008, I sold zero packages. I made zero dollars. I drove to Pittsburgh, set up a booth, didn't sell a thing, and came back. It was the most insane experience of my life. This is my entire this is the entire breadth of my Pittsburgh experience was the Ribs on the River Festival in 2008. The first night we were there, I'm saying we, it was me. There was nobody else. The first night I'm there, it's like a, there's death metal music. Like, I'm not even exaggerating. Like, bands that are called, like, the Blood of the Christ and stuff. Like, just cr- insane people screaming with, like, the headbanging music. And then I'm, like, 15 feet away, like, in front of a speaker yelling at people. Like, no, it's it's the... You get the Colonial Ghost Tour and then Unlimited Golf and we'll pay for your – we'll pay for your cart fee. <laughs> and people are just eating ribs, listening to music about the Antichrist, not buying anything. That was the first night, and I thought that was bad enough. The, the second night, uh, there was the big headliners. They had the band Night Ranger. <laughs> I don't know if you guys remember the band Night Ranger. And then they had Eddie Money was headlining. And I had actually seen Eddie Money. I saw Eddie Money at Six Flags. Like they had the Six Flags concert when I lived in New Jersey, which meant I would have been 12. So was that like 97? I saw Eddie Money in 97 with my family at Six Flags. And I remember thinking at 12, you know, when you, you don't know a lot of stuff when you're 12. Like you don't have like a worldly view. You don't have perspective outside of your 12-year-old mind. You can't see when adults are kind of full of it or failing. But even at 12, I remember watching Eddie Money at Six Flags saying, "This guy's done. This is not <laughs> This is the end of the line for Eddie Money. Whatever I'm seeing now can't go on anymore." His band was there. Like there's nobody in the audience. He's slurring his words. Like the whole band is his family. Anytime your whole band is your family, something's gone wrong. So cut to 10 years later, I'm at the Ribs on the River Festival, and Eddie Money is back. And, and he is worse. He's, it is not, he is not ripened with age. And now the band is like twice as big. It's still all of his kids. Like He has like 15 kids from 16 women somehow. He's on stage with his family band. And it, every stereotype of somebody messing up a concert is happening, like, rapid fire. Like, he does the thing where he, he says the wrong city, and he even, like, messes that up. He's like, it's good to Cleveland be here. Like, people are just staring at him. And, like, the whole audience, it's Eddie Money fans, you know? It's 50-year-old blonde women that used to be, like, cheerleaders at their school. It's all of the mothers of his children are basically the audience. It's like they're traveling with him. It's the whole family is the band and the audience. And even the Eddie Money fans are, like, like looking at each other, like, what is happening? He doesn't know the words. 
he can't sing anymore. He can't really walk anymore. This is 2008. I'm pretty. I don't even know if any money is still uh, with us at this point. You know, I'm sure I'll find out later and be horrified at what happened. But it was a shit show. Night Ranger was pretty good, though. I'm not gonna lie. I had a pretty good. I I also at that point had completely stopped trying to sell timeshares. Why would I be selling timeshares during the concert? Like that's what they wanted me to do with this old company I was working for. They're like, you sell till the bands are done. I'm like, you want me to sell while people are watching an old man fail on – like, this is the most compelling thing you could ever see. Anyway. I'm sure there's more to Pittsburgh than the Ribs on the River Festival in 2008, but as far as I'm concerned, that is your city. Batch had some great games with Pittsburgh. All right, I'm thinking about two in particular – one that I remembered and one that I didn't. And the one that I remembered was the season opener in 2006, I believe. But it was against the Dolphins, and Roethlisberger was missing the game for some reason, and Batch lit up the Dolphins. There's like, I think he threw a couple touchdowns. One of them I saw a highlight of when I was doing my little research for this where he throws it to Nate Washington. It's like a perfectly placed ball. I mean, you really see with, a lot of these guys, it's like, man, when you put the surrounding cast around them, man, they can light it up for a couple games. And Batch does that 100% in the 2006 game. You can find the YouTube video and watch the clips. It's He looks good. He, when he's healthy, he looks mobile. He's accurate. He's got a strong enough arm. The game that I would say is probably the most compelling, though, is the last game he ever played in 2012 against the Ravens. Leads a game-winning drive. I believe he had, I think he said he had like nine game-tying drives, nine or 11. Nine or 11, didn't mean to do that. Had a bunch of game-tying drives, and that was the last one he had was the last game he ever played, 2012 against the Ravens. You see him breaking down, crying at the end as uh, the kicker, uh, hits a field goal to win it. I'm telling. I always thought he was. Uh, I mean, this is just as a kid watching, you know, highlights and Lions games whenever they played teams that I liked or they were just happened to be on. You know, Thanksgiving probably. I was always like, man, I like Charlie Batch. Like you could just tell the guy was a fiery competitor when he was with Detroit. When he'd get a chance with Pittsburgh, but he really seemed willing to take a back seat when he got to Pittsburgh and I think that's probably because he's a from there and B had other things going on in his life namely his charitable stuff which is cool I mean of all the reasons to not be like chasing the starting gig somewhere in the NFL that's a pretty good one Charlie batch was a guy where I was excited to talk about just his career stuff and look up his highlights and look at old, like, Lions clips, him hitting Johnny Morton. His first touchdown pass to Johnny Morton in uh, 98 is like a – in the year 98 is a 98-yard touchdown, and it's like, man, the guy had – Charlie Batch had game. Great for a bad team in college. I'd say pretty solid for a bad team in the NFL, and then when he got his shots in Pittsburgh, did well too. Won two Super Bowls, Super Bowl 40, 42 as well. I was impressed with him as a player, but definitely doing a little more research, which I'll let you guys do yourselves if you're interested. Uh, Once you learn more about him as a person, you're like, this is not a person to uh, jokingly chronicle his life on a shitty podcast with 12 listeners. But you know what? That's what I've done. And the problem, like I told you guys, is I would have pivoted. 
I would have been recording this and then like realized how tragic and beautiful his life is and been like, you know what, how about we just go with, uh, you know, Jason Garrett or something. Like, I would have just changed the quarterback. <laughs> but I've already recorded all this other stuff. So I'm locked in to making fun of a, a guy a little bit who I, I now feel is like the best person I've ever researched. An amazing person. He should really like run for public office in Pittsburgh or something. We need leaders like this. President Batch got my vote. All right, I guess that's I guess that's enough. <laughs> it's been a crazy week for me, guys. I'm I'm not gonna lie to you. There was a heat wave in Los Angeles and our AC broke, so I'm in a particular mood. The act of putting the headphones on, I can feel the sweat pooling in the headphones. It's very, very hot in the apartment. Isn't that always how it is, though? If the AC is going to break, it's going to break two days before it's 110 degrees in Los Angeles. We did, uh, we did for the rougher night, we went to a friend's house to stay because we have a dog and the dog couldn't be in the heat. So we just kind of crashed in their living room. And that was the second time we've seen people in six months. That's it. We've been fully quarantined. My, you know, my wife's immunocompromised, so we got to take it. You know, we got to take it fully seriously. But you know, you know. Also, that said, like if you're 30 years old and you're healthy, you put on a mask and go to work. You piece of shit. Like, what are you doing? Like, what the the whole economy's got to tank. I don't have a choice. I'm I'm more quarantined. You know, what's funny about me is like I'm more quarantined than anybody I know in my life. And when people hear me talk, they they think I think coronavirus isn't real or something. It's like, no, no, no. I just literally can't leave my house. So I'm. Mad at the people who have more freedom to leave that would be safer to go do a little bit of stuff and still freak out about little things. Like none of my friends were even excited when college football started. And it was like it was like a surprise. They're like, oh my God, it starts in three days. I was like, I've been it's like people don't want to go back. It's like we gotta get back out there, everyone. This might age horribly, by the way, because I'm recording this. It goes out in two weeks. This could be broadcasting to aliens collecting up human bodies. Wouldn't that be funny if there's some sort of solar flare and all of humanity's destroyed, the last human gets swept away into the sea, some life force comes here hundreds of years later, and that all that all that survived it all was my Roadcaster Pro. They get like the rough cut of episode two of bringing the backups, and they're like, man, this might have been good that nobody survived. <laughs> it might be good that there's no one left. All right, let's get to one of my favorite parts of the show. You know we do this every week. Of course, I'm talking about On This Day in Backup History. Welcome back to another edition of On This Day in Backup History. Today's trip down memory lane takes us to Seattle, the city of angel tears, for a backup quarterback. While on the bench for the 1999 Raiders-Seahawks contest, Glenn Foley had dim sum delivered from the local eatery House of Hong. He then realized he had food poisoning and shit his pants. Luckily for Foley, because he was the backup and not involved in the game, no one noticed. Solid comedy bit. All right, we're going to get to the interview we have for this week's show. Uh, it's a good friend of mine on the show. I want to warn people, too, because I know that I've probably got a couple Trumpers listening out there. And by the way, I, I could not give less of a shit, as I said before, who anybody's voting for. This is not a political show. Rob Stern, our guest, his politics are slightly to the left of Che Guevara. And what happens at the end of the podcast with the jokes that he writes for me, 
That's what happens when you don't check the jokes first. But with that said, one of my close friends, I've known him forever, Rob Stern, is a comedian, a filmmaker. He's written for TV shows, including a new animated comedy premiering on Netflix in 2021. He also voices Tony on the popular web series, Commuters. Please enjoy the conversation with the very funny Rob Stern. I get anxious recording everything I say. That's, I've been, I've been. When we started, you took like an inhale. You went, like you had a look on your face where like you died a thousand deaths. Like when I said we're recording, I definitely noticed it. Cause you know me, I mean, I'm blown away. You're doing a podcast cause you and I are very similar in that we will say the wrong thing. Oh, totally. Like your podcast <laughs> will be canceled this episode. I already have, I already said stuff in the first episode where I'm like, a lot of people that I emailed this episode to are not going to be happy 20 minutes. <laughs> in like there's definitely shit in there i've kind of given myself over to the fact that people are going to listen to it and some people aren't going to like it no and that's something i'm I'm like figuring out is part of the comedy scene right now is is learning to just say what you think is funny and deal with the repercussions and if you're wrong just say i was wrong yeah I agree but, with everything except the saying you're wrong part. Yeah, I go back and forth on that. I do, but I yeah. mean, like, if you're attempting a joke, Jim Jeffries' special, if you haven't seen his new special, is great. He he has a great, basically is like, I wanted the joke to work. Like, people forget that, like, when a joke <laughs> yeah, offends my, people. My goal it, wasn't to make you hate me. Yeah. Like, the goal was that yeah, you laugh. I failed. And, yeah. And now, and now we're here. But, you know, I, I, I think that's definitely the way to move forward beyond this is like there's a big difference between saying the wrong thing because you were trying to be funny and saying the wrong thing because you actually believe the wrong thing and or you're like you know there's there's zero excuse for ignorance now it's as if you're supposed to be completely educated on on every topic yeah it's uh, yeah i don't know the last Chappelle special talked about the importance of something like uh, irresponsible thought Totally. And to remove that drives people crazy. Did you see American Vandal, that show on Netflix? No. It's really good. But they talk about kids now being like the most sheltered kids ever. And it's like, it's actually the opposite because of social media. At a young age, you're the most exposed that you've ever been as a kid because now people can criticize you 24 hours a day and it can be over anything you've ever said in your life ever. that you've that you posted. How often do you hear people being like, oh, thank God there weren't video cameras when oh, I was yeah, 18 I mean, and always... I was in the Navy or whatever horrifying <laughs> shit they have. That doesn't exist for kids anymore, and it, it, it turns everybody into, like, some sort of politician in the public. Yeah, area. I mean, my, my, I, I'm trying to be optimistic about it. I, my hope is that we'll, we'll get to the other side being, like, most people don't want to destroy people's careers yeah. over things they've said, that, especially if they've retracted it. You know, tons of people have retracted jokes over the last few years, and I, I think that, in general, a lot of them are... Their careers are fine. In fact, even the ones that they say have been canceled. The, They're just back. Yeah, like Louis C.K. I'm like, I wish I was canceled like Louis C.K. <laughs> selling out well, theaters. Th- before, and- before you get to that point, you have to have fucking everybody know your name and have comedy specials on networks. And like, it'd be, it'd be great yeah. to feel the part before you <laughs> crash as well. But I'm saying even after the crash, he's still, he's still, no, he's still great. doing a million times No, I can honestly you. say I would love oh, to have us. Louis C.K.'s career post me too. And it would. <laughs> be a huge accomplishment 
I really model my career post, <laughs> post Me Luke. Too, Louie. <laughs> I could just get to that level. Yeah. Oh, man, I'm sitting pretty. Um, yeah, and then what's nice about this podcast, too, is I've got the backup quarterback thing to fall back on. So it's like if any, you know, if somebody really wants to delve into Black Lives Matter, I can be like, well, but what about that Charlie Batch game in 2005 <laughs> <laughs> where he played on a broken ankle? What do you think about that? Did you end up researching Batch? I told you're the first person I've had besides my wife who I kind of forced to watch a Coy Detmer game. I, talk I about. did some. Uh, I, did, I read up on Batch. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, I remembered him. Yeah, he's he's you know, I mean, whatever. He's he's a backup <laughs> quarterback. It's 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 a weird thing because it's so much more than I'll ever accomplish in my life. Sure, to be a backup quarterback in the NFL, to be the sixtieth greatest quarterback in the world at any point of your life is is, is pretty crazy. Is insane. He also doesn't have like a very interesting career. No, that's <laughs> super interesting. You know, I was gonna. Here's the thing. This is a, a He's something that's super interesting. <laughs> Anyways, like and subscribe. Uh, leave a comment. No, no, he's he's great. This is what I feel like because I eat. I, the only thing that's interesting about him is really sad, and you can't even talk about it. What's sad about? Wait, did you not look at what's his life? Family? No, what's stuff? his family stuff? Oh Jesus! Eric. Oh no! What happened? <laughs> Well, what? After we talk, I'll probably do a little more research to do my part in the beginning of the podcast where I talk about him. Great. What what did he do? Did somebody die? Yeah, his sister was was uh, murdered. What? Oh my god! No, I did not read that. Shouldn't have laughed right there. I was laughing at. Just relax. Nobody's going to cancel you. I have zero jobs already. Don't make me. I'll pipe it. I'll pipe in full silence after you said it. (laughs) Like like I'll put in a five minute. Then extend my laugh. So it's just yeah, like me laughing for evil. like 30 seconds. That's horrible. I didn't know that about him. I mean, he's he's a very he's like very into charity and stuff now. Yeah, he seems like a really good dude. Best he, of the batch yeah. is like his thing. To be honest, I've, everybody that I've had as a topic on the show, a quarterback, I've reached out to them to come be on the show. Yeah. And in that moment, I'm very deferential to their careers. Once I don't hear back from them, I'm like, fuck these guys. Yeah. Like, I'll talk shit about them. My favorite will be when you put the podcast out where you talk shit about them, and then they email you back. They're like, "Hey, man, took me a while to get to this. I'd love to do your podcast." You had a you had a joke about like we run a show together in L.A. I feel like I'm heavily breathing into the mic. Everybody's gonna think I'm 700 pounds. (laughs) (sighs) Thanks for having me on, Eric. I, I thought the same thing too when I was recording the first episode. I think it's the headphones. You hear everything back. It's not as bad when you. Great. And in, in post, I go back and make your breathing much heavier. Oh, good. <laughs> I'm really deep in it. You just add some wheezes. You were talking about, we, we run a show together where we book comics. Yeah. And we know some famous comics, and we're always like, eh, do we feel comfortable reaching out to book these people? And you to joke about debating whether or not to send an email to a famous comic, and then just going, fuck it, and blowing your brains out. And then your head falls on the keyboard, hits send, <laughs> and then they write back right away, hey, Rob, what's up? <laughs> Or, like, I'm sure people record hundreds of episodes and then forget that they talked shit about somebody who they then asked to be oh, on the show. I think once you put it, that's it's why you're having a panic attack being on my show. Because yeah. once you put it out there, it's now what they think you meant forever. I wouldn't be as nervous if the host of this show wasn't as irresponsible as I am. <laughs> like, it would be helpful 
I was hope I was honestly hoping that like Liz would be here to be like you can't say that like, no nope. or something no she, um, she's uh, she's removed herself from yeah. any type of advisory role on the podcast and so it's, it got it's, crazy I'm sure pretty fast our podcast I I feel like I feel like I'm two different people in the podcast there's me talking to myself for 25 minutes up front. And then there's the version of me talking to my wife, which is like the I like I meditated. I'm a listener. I care about somebody besides myself. I'm like that guy is a different. That's actually that's a different what, guy. That's the things I'm most jealous of. You starting this podcast is I think you will get better at being able to listen to somebody and hold an interesting conversation. I mean, you'll, you're going to because I'm yourself. bad at that now. <laughs> no, you're very good at it. I'm terrible at it, but I, yeah. I I'm jealous that you're going to only get better at it. Yeah, conversation is a full skill. Yeah, I mean, it's something I've never fully been able to master because I have horrible ADD and I get super nervous and then I'm just, I lose concentration and people think I'm being rude, but it's more, I just like went into my own head, but it's also why I've been very unsuccessful in the industry. (laughs) Apparently you need to be good at conversations in order to do, I guess, network is what I've heard. It's like you either get good at it or you don't. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing that, I mean, I always get angry, jealous of managers because they're very good at it. I mean, that's like how they got to where they got is they're able to just hold a conversation with anybody. Yeah. Um, Phony. I don't even think it's... I'm, I, I, I'm just trying to ruin my career Oh, yeah, prospects. good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's name actual... <laughs> let's name some managers. Yeah. yeah no, I, I mean, and I've, like, literally been in a situation where I'm talking to a manager, and I just realize... see their eyes glaze over, and I see them go, Ooh, this, this kid doesn't got it. <laughs> this kid doesn't... Yeah, they don't even speak in proper English. Yeah. This kid doesn't got it. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's so much of, like, the opportunities anybody gets is, like, what people... You need someone to just see, like, this guy's got talent. This is actually a tie-in to Charlie Batch because he starts for the first three years of his career in Detroit, and then Matt Millen comes in to Detroit and is like, yeah, no more of him. That's the end of him starting in the NFL. Yeah. But you could just as easily have somebody else come in that's like, keep Batch, let's get a new running back. Like, it's, it's all just perception. Maybe. I mean, I think it was he, he had so many injuries. The reason he was injured so much was because when Barry Sanders retired, the Lions were like, you be the running back. It's kind of like what happened to uh, Cunningham. Like, the Eagles didn't know how to use Cunningham, so he was just like, he'd run for 1,000 yards every season, but then he would also... Couldn't stay healthy for the last five years he was on the team. Yeah, I mean, it, running backs get injured. You're going to – it's so mind-blowing. To me, it's like the craziest thing in sports. Out of everything in sports, I think running back to me is just insane. Just getting hit every time? Well, you're just like, if I'm successful, at one point I'm going to shatter a bone. Yeah. <laughs> like if you're really good and you have a long career in the NFL, it's just, you're just going to – Pop an ACL, shatter a bone, like, and if you're a running back, I mean, it's gonna happen. Yeah, it's. Just- but you know, here's the thing that I think makes it easier. Uh, first off, it's making a lot of money, which is great. Um, secondly, I think most people playing football genuinely love playing it. It's not like very. I think very few people are in it purely for the business aspect of it. Most yeah. people are have been playing it their whole lives, have most should, of their self-worth tied in. I say, I got injured playing football in high school. I dislocated my shoulder, and then I had to have surgery. And then was that the end of the, yeah. the career? Yeah, I tried to, like, play afterwards, and I was like, this is insane. 
I'm not good at this and I'm going to like destroy my, like I literally have a bad shoulder to this day and will have a bad shoulder for the rest of my life because I was a shitty football player. But here, when you dislocated your shoulder, yes, which sounds painful, yeah, it was. It's not like going into the the moment that you did that. You knew you were about to dislocate your shoulder. No, I thought you I was invincible. You knew at some point you would probably get injured, but it's like today I stabbed myself with a knife doing the dishes. Oh, like I just, a, just for fun. <laughs> did you know just to feel something? I was like, if I just had to hold a knife and go do the exact same thing to your own hand, it would take me, like, a couple minutes to build up the courage. But not knowing, if you tell me, like, hey, over the course of your life, at some point doing the dishes, you're going to uh, almost lacerate your finger off. Yeah, you, I mean, you, you, can't, you can't think that way. I'm sure they, don't, they just don't think about it. They don't think about it's it. It's like I could be the one who's, you know, survives all of this without anything. But yeah. It's just mind-blowing to me. It just me. doesn't exist. That, that mentality is so far from me, and, and I just can't even fathom it. Especially having been injured, it just, like, it changed the way I viewed my body. It yeah. Just, like, it, the, the next day was just, oh, like, I'm completely breakable, vulnerable. And I think some people have the opposite reaction. I mean, there was another guy on our team who had a dislocated shoulder, and he was he was our running back, and he... He just kept playing. He'd get a surgery, keep playing. Like, I think for... Yeah. for Emmett some, Smith, right? It was Emmett Smith, yeah. <laughs> I guess I should lead with that. Yeah, I was on Emmett Smith's high school team. I'm, I'm 63. How old is Emmett? He's not, he's not that old. He's no, he's 50. like 50. Yeah. I forget who... Um, Did anybody on your football team go on to play in college or at the NFL? No, there was really good football players on on my team, but they were all... My school was a was a, a really good academic school. So it just wasn't the same mentality you kind of need to excel at sports. So they were like really good, but they wouldn't hit the gym the way you would if you were poor and this was your this only is your way, way out. out of your small town in Texas. There was good football players on on our, on the team, but none of that. I ne- I never saw any of them like pushing themselves to be you know, go beyond. Well, it's also like they they went to co- some of them. A lot of them played in college, but they none of them were like D one schools or. They played it like Abilene Christian or something. Yeah, and I, but I think they could have. I think they were good enough to. Well, the people who are that good, the people with that Rudy mentality of like, I'm going to make it. I feel like I'm getting more like that as I get older, but it's yes, like yeah, in my it's 30s. It's taking me forever. Yeah. Well, it's going to be in my 40s. Too. Oh, yeah. So, oh, yeah. I'm yeah, getting you, there. You get there when you get yeah, there. Yeah, when I'm 70 and dying. <laughs> I'll be like, I finally figured it out. You got to <laughs> You got to take the right. Uh, yeah. And then you, as you die, you hit the send key on your email. Um, I was always, I was, I'm always fascinated by the, the journey from high school into the pros. That, that whole journey is just incredible. And that's and gotta be the biggest jump. People who don't watch sports. I'm always like, I can't explain how much you're missing out on. There's so much amazing drama and just the stories are incredible. And it's always, it's always more work than you thought it was. Like when you're watching sports, you're just like, well, these guys are born, you know, with these. And then you see what they actually had to do. It's like, it doesn't matter if you're tall or strong or fast. Like you still need to have this incredibly dedicated mentality. Yeah, the, 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 I remember uh, there was when the Falcons went to the Super Bowl in 98. They had a quarterback, Chris Chandler, who was a backup type guy. And they were like, he's having a good year, but the guy's got a glass jaw. Yeah, you know, I once threw out my back farting. 
and like laid on the ground in pain for an hour. Well, then- I think I think the bigger story is not like is not like people getting injured. It's it's the people that get injured and then you just never heard about it. I think we don't hear about a lot of injuries. Yeah. I think some of these guys are just insane and then I think they're just they walk off the field and then afterwards they like whisper to the trainer, I think I broke my you know, I think I broke my collarbone or something. Yeah. And they're like, okay, like we'll see what there, we can do to keep you playing. There was a game where McNabb broke his ankle on like the third play of a game against the Cardinals, played the whole game, threw like four touchdown passes, and then was out for the rest of the season. Because he just demolished his ankle. Yeah, because they're yeah, and it's like sure. it was also against the Cardinals. Like you would have won with your backup. Yeah. But like the that's the mentality. And it yeah. and I think that's what's hard now where like people are you know, people who don't like football are like, Well, there's so many concussions. It's like Look, I'm all for, like, making people aware of the danger in playing and, like, having concussion protocol. But it's so hard to train that out of people that if I can stand up, I need to get back in the game. And I think that's... Yeah, it's secondary. The body is... It's, there's really, like, a separation between mind and body for them that I just have never been able to... I, I think I'd be better at it now because I've learned to do sort of meditative techniques and things to deal with different pains. But it's like... Yeah, for them, the, the goal just overrides every part of that. The only thing that we do that's anything close is stand-up when we're, when we're up there. And I, I have, like, bombed horrifically numerous times. And every time somebody's like, you know, the look on their face that I just went through that. Like, they just assume I'm going to go home and hang myself. And yeah, I and think about they're, it. They're not, <laughs> they're not wrong. They're not wrong. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's like I, the pursuit of it, it yeah. always pulls me back. I, you know, I can't, I can't stop doing it. Well, you gave me that advice when I was starting stand-up a while ago, which was you have to go until you know you're not going to quit anymore. I mean, Brian Frangie said, it, said this to me. Uh, Brian Frangie, very funny comedian. He said – you have to get to this point where if you quit, it'll just be sad. And then you can't quit. Like if you're doing it for five plus years and yeah. then you're like, I think I'm going to quit. It's like, no one cares. You're not, you know, you weren't like a professional athlete. It's not like, wow, you had five years in the, you know, in, in the league. Huh? It's like, people are, are like, Oh, they just assume you're a loser who isn't funny. And that's why you didn't make it. And they don't understand that you just were sick of like, the, the bullshit hor- horrors that we yeah. have to. Well, get. yeah. So basically, his advice to you was the sunken cost fallacy. Yeah, you just sink so much into it that you go, "It'll be sadder if I quit than if I just keep going." Well, I remember mm-hmm. I, there were comics who's I, I went on their podcast five years ago. Funny guys in New York, crushing it, like getting up at clubs, and then I'll catch up with like a friend of a friend, and they'll be like, "Do you hear blah 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 quit?" And I'm like, "What?" What's he doing? I'm like, what's he? He's doing what everybody else in my fucking life is doing that doesn't do comedy, yeah. which is like probably and, and, making love to his wife <laughs> and like enjoying like, his free time. Yeah, like he runs a a farm. Yeah, he's doing he's doing shit that <laughs> fills him in other ways, but it feels yeah, it feels it's what you said. It's just you're sad. You're like, what about that podcast I was on five years ago? It was good. <laughs> he, he was really good, but yeah, I. I yeah, I mean, a lot. I've known a number of good comedians who quit. I never think that's. I mean, as a comedian, you you experience that enough to realize it has nothing to do with talent. It's just, it's. It's, it's got a little to do with talent. It has some to do with talent, but I know enough good people who've quit that I I know that it's just the it's just the lifestyle of it is yeah uh, is grueling, especially when you're starting out. I mean, 
Yeah, I, when they, I, whenever like people talk to me about stand up, I'm like, don't even worry about jokes. Can you commit to sitting in a dark room, miserable for three to five nights a week? And if you can't for four years, for four years, feeling like a failure. If you can't commit to that, then don't even start. Do you hear my dog howling because there's an ambulance going? I by? heard. I heard a little bit. Yeah. yeah. Um. So what what drew you to backup quarterbacks? As so this is a some, focus. So this is something that I do in my spare time already. Yeah. I go online and watch old clips of quarterbacks from the '80s and the '90s, and I'm, and I Google what they did. So. I like looking at the journeys other people have been on. And I do think there's a really good analogy from like to sports and comedy. Yeah. I guess I'm like a backup quarterback. We're the only in my ones who think field. that. Who? Oh yeah. yeah, yeah no <laughs> athletes aren't like, this is like getting <laughs> is a type like five together as they put together their shattered fibula. I'm sure Alex Smith, when his leg looks like a half eaten turkey leg at yeah. fucking Thanksgiving. Like, this is Bill Burr at the, at, at the yeah. in Philadelphia. No, he's you know, he's like, this is Eric Helwig <laughs> trying to, Trying to find a way to get up more often at the ice house. Who's your get? Who's the number one? Who's the number one? I mean, Nick Fol- Nick Foles is probably the yeah. number one. I'm an Eagles fan. He won the Super Bowl. It's the mo- it's the best backup story of all time. It's the greatest backup story of all yeah. time. I always remember one of my favorite backups is also a Steeler. That's Tommy Tommy Maddox. Tommy Maddox, yeah, yeah. Because he he had that amazing game, and it was, he had two amazing games or something, and then he had a game where he just got hit. It was like just one hit, and it was just like, oh, that's why. That's that's why he was a backup because <laughs> he, he's a small guy. He's a small guy, and once he got hit, every game afterwards, he just looked frazzled. And well, there's no room for air with the backups. It's like uh, I'll go online and watch their best of clips, and it's like when they have a clean pocket and they can step into the throw, they can make all the throws. But as soon as there's somebody in their face, it looks like me. Yeah, I mean, yeah. that's where I think it's interesting is backups are me. I was a backup backup <laughs> playing football. <laughs> With a separated shoulder. Yeah, I was the guy who, like, you know, who basically would, like, bring waters out even though I had a football <laughs> jersey on it. Yeah. I also think anybody, you mentioned Tommy Maddox, anybody with XFL starts that gets into the, I think Is they're, I think they're an automatic, me. they're an in for the, for the show. Because I love that the XFL was a thing, and I love that it came back a second time. Now it's coming back with The Rock. I love finding out all these random football leagues also. <laughs> They're like, he played in the China Football League, and you're like, China has a football Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The, yeah the, the, I can't think of a fucking town. The, this was it. This, this was, was the moment. The, you, I'm glad you caught yourself. <laughs> no need to go there. I'm sorry I said China. What? Is that bad? <laughs> Is that one bad? Wait, I think you should change the title of your podcast. <laughs> what? Is that bad? Uh, we should let the dog out soon. We've been talking for 40 minutes. This is probably... Do you uh, want to talk about Charlie Batch at all? We can talk about him. Yeah. What, what, you, what is there any? Well, now I feel bad that I didn't know his, his sister died, and I feel like I should have done more research. I, I wrote some things. So, um... I'm a writer and a comedian. I don't know if you told your audience or whatever. I'm sure. I'll, I'll give uh, you a proper intro. I I wrote some roast jokes, which I thought were really the wrong thing to do. Right, but for some reason, it was something I was in the mood to do. So I was thinking we can take turns reading them. They're not good. I mean, I wrote them within an hour. 
Wow. Um, All right. Well, do you want to just? Uh, yeah, you just handed me a sheet of paper here. All Let's. Right. You want to go first? Yeah. F- uh, first one's a bit corny, but I enjoy. Uh, talk about Charlie Batch, huh? I got to set myself up for roasting. Like okay. Charlie, Charlie Batch, huh? Charlie. You know, Batch is the son of a steel mill operator. It makes sense his dad worked at a steel mill. I mean, why else would he send his son to the gridiron? I'm just kidding, of course. Charlie's uh, father was never in the picture. All right. Tough stuff. Uh, you know, Batch studied criminal justice in college. He was thinking of becoming a cop. I guess he figured he could either have a career in a place filled with toxic, criminal-minded, violent cycles, or he could play football. All right, look, that's more political <laughs> than I would like to be on this show. I'm so I, I, happy I, that you read that one. I was like, I do not endorse I, that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, here's one, right? Batch was originally originally drafted by the Detroit Lions, which must be like winning the lottery and then finding out you're a Detroit Lion. <laughs> I like that one. The Lions drafted Charlie after having recently lost Barry Sanders to retirement. Sounds like the way my friend handles her breakups. Just screws whatever sad loser she can find and moves on. Right. Uh, Batch had to sit out a year of college after he got sick from paint chemicals at his summer job. Charlie was injured by paint, which should tell you all you need to know about his career. Most quarterbacks try to break records, but Charlie seemed to be only interested in breaking his clavicle. I like that. <laughs> I like that one. Most quarterbacks have reserved parking spots at the stadium, but Charlie had an injured reserved parking spot. I mean, Charlie got injured a lot. The only thing more broken than his body is Charlie's relationship with his father. And then you wrote, edit that out. Um, in 2016, as part of the Pittsburgh Penguins intermission show, Charlie was asked to be a human bowling ball. For a second, Charlie thought he was being asked to start for the Lions again. There's a video of that, by the way. You can watch him being bowled into pins. Uh, Charlie gives motivational speeches now. Here's some speech titles I thought of. How to be number one at being number two. How to be slightly recognizable in your hometown. How to use anger at your father to propel your dreams. Did he have a rough relationship with his father? <laughs> oh, I'm never getting quarterback I'm never getting quarterbacks on this show. <laughs> uh breaking up an alleged rapist and other funny stories. What? Uh, it's a backing backing up. up an alleged rape. Oh yeah. Oh okay, nice. <laughs> if dreams were cookies, how to bake a batch? I just thought that was cute. It is cute. Uh, how to break everything but your spirit. In all seriousness, uh, Charlie seems like a really good guy. He's made a lot of donations. He gives away money like it was a football, and charities were the opposing team, right, Charlie? He's got sixty-two touchdowns and fifty-four interceptions. He, That's not he bad. Also beat. The ever-loving shit out of me. <laughs> yeah. But I honestly thought I was like, how funny would it be if I was walking down the street and Charlie Batch just like pulled up in a car with a bunch of other ex-football players and they just murdered me? Yeah. And that, I was like, that's worth it. They're like, yeah. You- I heard. I listened to Breaking the <laughs> Backups. Like- <laughs> the only people who listened to Breaking the Backups were my mom and Charlie Batch <laughs> after episode two. And he needed to exact revenge. All right. This is the, we're going to close on this one. All right. Well, don't uh, close on this one because I have one more thing that we should read. Okay. That's a, uh, a good close. Charlie was second string to Ben Roethlisberger in the NFL, but was first string in the NRL, the no-rape <laughs> allegations league. 
Jesus Christ. Um, Ooh. All right. Good all stuff. right. So I also wrote a scene from a Charlie Batch movie. Okay, great. I'd like us to do the do it together. So why I, don't you play? Why don't you play Charlie? That's great. All right. Whenever you're ready. Okay, I'm gonna are, you, are you going to do stage yeah, directions? Yeah, I'll do everything. All right. All right. Uh, interior Pittsburgh front office day. Charlie is talking to Mike Tomlin. Charlie, can you hand me that cup of coffee? Sure thing, coach. Here you Ow! Oh, no, not again. I broke my arm trying to hand you this cup of coffee. Well, look, Charlie, we love you, but we're going to be moving on. I understand. Here, let's shake hands. Charlie, are you sure? Charlie goes to shake hands and his fingers shatter. Jesus, you okay? Yeah, I'll just walk it off. Title change, year 2020. Exterior near Charlie's car in a Wegmans parking lot day. Eric Helwig approaches Charlie's car. Hello, Mr. Batch. I was wondering if... I don't shake hands anymore, kid. No, I was going to ask if you wanted to do my podcast. I would love to, kid. But I got lots of charities to take care of, so I don't think I have the time. Maybe you should have that really funny comedian Rob Stern on. Wow, that's a great idea. He's a good friend, but also one of my favorite comedians. Do you follow him on Instagram? I sure do. At the Rob Stern. He's hilarious. I love his great takes and funny sketch videos. Me too. You should also follow him on Twitter, at the Rob Stern. Did you know he appeared on Tosh.0 once? Of course. I wish he'd get more exposure so people could see how funny he is. Well, look, I have to go. Maybe I'll catch you at the next Rob Stern live comedy show. Yeah, I can't wait to laugh at his great jokes. See ya, Charlie. Eric waves goodbye as Charlie starts to get into his car, but trips and bangs his head, which instantly pops off his body, killing him. Epilogue. Eric was later charged with involuntary manslaughter for distracting Charlie while he was getting into his car. He served nine years and was paroled on good behavior. The first thing he did when he got out was check out a Rob Stern comedy show. All right. So it's a work in progress. I'm just like, you know, flushing it out, but I I think there's something there. I think we get this in front of Weinstein and see if he can get made. (laughs) I know he's free. He's looking at projects. Rob, it was great having you on the show, man. Thanks for dropping by. Of course, man. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for listening to the show. To hear more Bring in the Backups or help us grow, please subscribe on iTunes or Apple Podcasts and leave a written five-star review. Or subscribe and hit the notification bell on YouTube. For info on the show or how to see Eric live, visit erichelwig.com to hop on the newsletter.